Well, I had to smile when we saw that clip of uh, God's big story and we were told that normally every Sunday we just have a small piece of scripture and then we gave you such a junk. Um, but the essence today is to bring out the thread of um, the theme, which is the freedom of the kingdom. So that's the title for today, The Freedom of the Kingdom. One Sunday morning, uh, here at King's, I spoke to a visitor. I can remember exactly where she was seated. She was sitting in that sort of position over there. Um, she's not a churchgoer. As I got into conversation with her, I realized she was not a churchgoer. And, um, you know, I just took a punt, really, and I said, look, um, I'm really interested. What was it like? You know, your first time here. You don't normally go to church. Just, you know, give it to me. <laughs> Tell me what it was like. And... Um, I thought she'd go through some practicalities, but she didn't. She, what she really picked up on was the atmosphere in the room. She, she had never experienced anything like it. And, and one of the things she said was, and she used, used this word, um, she said, I, I, I particularly noticed an authority, an authority, and what she meant was a sort of a, uh, uh, not just a, not a person, but a, a presence. It's a presence of authority in the room. And she couldn't really explain it. And in truth, to be honest, I think she was a little unnerved by it all. She's, she said, I've never experienced anything like that. And she knew there was something here. Now in this passage, you see the authority of Jesus. You'll find it just pours off the page every line and throughout you see this demonstration of the kingdom of God and, and let's remind ourselves that the kingdom of God is the rule of God it's the it's the reign of God and uh, this is the kingdom that changes people's lives and it it releases the oppressed sets captives free so in this account here in in Luke's gospel we see all of that happening all of it three perspectives I want to pick up on what happened to these people? What does this mean for you and me? And what does it mean for us? So what happened to these people? Well, it is a weird story, isn't it, the pigs? I mean, you know, I, I, every, one minister said that uh, one of the most frequent questions he gets is, you know that stuff about the pigs? Sort of, what's that all about? What's that all about? Well, it is weird. And you know what? It, the thing is, if you, go down that li- if you go down that line too much, if you're not careful, you'll lose the wonder of the miracle of what happened to this man. And I would hate you to do that. Sometimes, as I'm walking through the town here in High Wycombe, there are one or two people that actually particularly catch my attention. Uh, they stand out to me. I, I get the impression... And I have to, it is just an impression, and perhaps it's from their demeanor or their facial expression. I sense they've had a particularly hard life. I, my heart sort of goes out to them. However, the man that we read about, well, he's been subjected to a life of horrendous, horrendous abuse. When I think about this, demonized man and his humiliation, his isolation, afflicted by demons, and naked, 
living in a graveyard. Mark's account tells us that he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Do you know, of all the people we meet in Scripture, I think this must be the most um, mangled up, broken piece of humanity that we ever meet. And I, I, I'm... I'm I'm reticent to say piece of humanity, but it, it seems that he's scarcely human. I mean, socially, he, he is utterly rejected. He's driven out by his community. He's, he's mentally, spiritually, emotionally stripped bare, absolutely bare. And this isn't recent either. You know, I wasn't just a flick of the switch here. You know, for a long time, verse 27 says, For a long time this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but lived in tombs. I mean, he literally is living in the land of the dead. If ever a person needed freedom, surely it's this man. I mean, even his identity as a person is lost. And it's important, hear this please, it's important that we don't rationalize this story and fit it into a 21st century worldview. You know, remove the spiritual, just remove that, and stick a medical label on it. And I, I've heard this, you know, of course, you know, this, this man wasn't demonized. He's, he's obviously suffering from schizophrenia or, or personality disorder or something of that kind making an arrogant diagnosis from a distance of 2,000 years. You can't do that. That is not clever. If you do that, you will, only, you will not only trivialize his condition, but you'll also minimize those conditions that people that we know face and you know, things that you might associate with those conditions. The text won't let you do it. The repetition of the word demon, demons, demon-possessed, you know, they, they led us here to an inevitability of an encounter of spiritual authority. You're going to have it. And in what is known as the, the Lord's Prayer, you've got that line in there that says, and deliver us from the evil one. And here we see Jesus commands the evil spirit to come out of the man. And the evil spirit, he knows who Jesus is. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I mean, Jesus' authority is immediately recognized. They know their time is up. Finished. They're done. They beg Jesus. You see the begging going on? You see the line of authority here? They're begging Jesus to send them into the pigs. I want you to notice that in all their power over this man, they're the ones who are doing the begging at this stage. He determines where they go. I mean, he is sovereign God. He's Lord of the darkness. I mean, one thing is for sure, they go. I mean, you can see that. The evidence of that is seen in the action of the pigs. I mean, demons go, kingdom of God comes. And in verse 35, we see this man 
sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. I think that's a great line, you know, because you could miss a word in there. It's very personal here. Dressed. You could say, oh, you know, he's in his right mind. You know, that was the most important thing. That was so kind. He's dressed and in his right mind. What a wonderful day. <laughs> the kingdom of God has come. You know, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he quotes from Isaiah 61. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to pray and good, proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the prisoner free. Do you hear I love it when you do amen here. So if you, if you, listen, if you think your life is out of control and you're held back by captivity, held captive by, you know, thoughts, dark thoughts that assail you in the middle of the night or the first thing you wake up in the morning and this sort of darkness comes over you. I want you to look at this man and see that he is Lord over the darkness. He is. You know, more than one season in my life, I've taken hold of that scripture in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, and which tells us to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Sometimes you have to do that. I am, I'm going to take hold of the truth. I'm going to take hold of what God says about me. You know, the, Satan is a, is a father of lies. You don't need to walk in that stuff. It won't help you. The Bible says you shall know the truth. Well, you just don't men- mentally know it. You walk in it. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And each person here in this this account that Luke writes, that's a hopeless case. Each one is desperate. What happens? I'll tell you what, the kingdom of God breaks in. And a woman, you know, who's been subject to bleeding, she knows isolation too. Her hemorrhaging would have rendered her ritually unclean. Anyone who sits on a chair or a rug that she has occupied, they would be deemed to have contracted her uncleanliness. Going out to dinner is not an option. And people aren't coming around to yours either. For this lady, synagogue is off limits. People are off limits. It's not merely her finances that have shrunk. My friends, it's the whole of her life has shriveled. She's held captive by her conditions and her circumstances. It's imprisoned her. And she makes a decision to break every social protocol. She's going to reach out to Jesus and touch his cloak. You know, I have to say that, you know, that's a touch of boldness. We talked about Ron earlier on, and, and he does have boldness. I think there's a touch of boldness by this lady. I mean, it's, it's faith, you know. She, she's going to go. And I don't know how she does it. I don't know where she wears different types of clothes so she wouldn't be recognized. And we don't know all the details. But we know she is, she's going to do this. 
and, and intentionally touching someone's clothes, just not on. Why does this lady have faith? The demon-possessed man, it's Jesus that goes to him. With the woman, she's coming to him. Works both ways. And immediately you notice she is healed. And immediately you notice he knows that power has gone out from him. He knows that. And that's not the end of it. You know, until this point, this lady has been anonymous. She's, what she has done by touching, touching someone's clothes is unprecedented. You just didn't do that in that condition. And prior to that, it's all been a private matter. But Jesus stops it at this point. Who's touching me? It's a whole crowd of people. But he knows somebody has intentionally reached out and touched him. Until this moment, she's lived in anonymity. Absolute obscurity. Over the life, she's become a shriveled, probably silent, has a probably silent existence. And now, you want to see what Jesus is doing. He's opening the prison door and saying it's time to come out. I mean, you're not just going to be healed of your physical condition. I'm opening a door for you and it's time for you to come out. And that's why you get that line here, trembling and falling at his feet. She tells the people what Jesus has done for her. And there is a release. There is a release in telling people what God has done for you. There's a release in doing that. Some of us say, well, I don't have a big story. No, you don't. Some of you don't. But you do have a miraculous one. Anyone who comes to Christ is a miraculous story. Just get that, please. Don't undermine your story. Don't think it doesn't matter. Ask God if it matters. Of course it matters. Your story's wonderful. And then he, Jesus uses this lovely word, doesn't he? He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Oh, what a lovely lie. He's your personal, he's your intimate daughter. He affirms her healing. He pronounces her whole, restores her to a community. He heals her brokenhearted and sets the captives free. Praise God. Praise God. Well, you can see with this man and the woman and the child, it's just, their situation is hopeless and it's desperate. And let me tell you that this is a picture of you and me outside of Christ. All their situations embody everything that the Scriptures say of us outside of Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now just get that, will you please? Dead, that means you just dead to God, not, not alive. Without life. And then and you are wretched and pitiful, poor, blind, naked, Revelation 3, verse 17. We're in the trap of the devil, taken captive to do his will. Timothy 2, verse 26. Hebrews 2, 15 says that we're slaves to fear. It embodies our lives outside of Christ. 
And, and I, want, I was one of those. I, I know what it was to be hopeless. I, I, I knew my life was, was hopeless. It was just, and I knew it. I, I, didn't, I didn't look as desperate as the people in this story here. But spiritually without Christ, I was an absolute mess. I mean, my wife, we've been married three weeks and she took me to church. <laughs> she, she knew I was a mess. Now, on the outside, you wouldn't have guessed it. I was trying to be in control of my life. Yeah, I knew I was a lost cause. Inside, I was lost, empty, and desperately trying to cover up with appearances of confidence and security and, and full of purpose. And as I mentioned in, before about Ephesians 2, it tells us that we're dead in our transgressions and sins. And it says about being disobedient, gratifying the craving of our flesh. That's me. That's me. But I didn't have the final word. God did. And in one version it puts it this way. If you follow that Ephesians 2, it says, but God, who is rich in mercy. I just love that. But God. Not but Neil. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, with Christ. You know, Jesus steps into the lives of these hopeless people. And listen, my friends, he changes everything. Absolutely everything. He breaks strongholds that have imprisoned this man that we read of for years. And there he is sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. This woman, this girl, they get their life back. I tell you, God who is rich in mercy. Don't you forget, if you forget anything, forget everything else, remember that. But God, who is rich in mercy. I was reading uh, about the Health Revival in 1859. It was the 14th of March. So many people turned up to this church. It was deemed, so many people turned up, it was deemed unsafe. And it was decided to dismiss the crowd. So outside, the crowd had gathered to about 3,000 people. And a layman spontaneously addressed the crowd in the chilling rain. And hundreds of people fell on their knees in the mud, in the rain, 700, and gave their lives to Christ. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. During that revival, many cried out and fell on their knees, agonized by the weight of their sin. Their sense of remorse, it could go on for minutes, sometimes for hours, and sometimes days. Sometimes when you look at what your life is and what it's been, it takes a bit to get through. And they're all coming to a place of finding freedom in Christ. With Jesus, everything changes. What does it mean for you and me? It means we're no longer trying to cover with our own efforts it means we put on the robe of righteousness and we uh, go to God's throne in confidence. That's the way God would love you to do that. Don't let, don't let, don't, don't, be, don't miss that, please. You don't come to his throne in confidence. He wants you to do that. I mean, his love for you is just, there's, there's a reservoir of his love for you that it never runs dry. 
And no matter what you think of yourself and what you've done and all those things that go on, I tell you, he is rich in mercy. So you wear the robe of righteousness and you come to his throne in confidence and you'll find grace and mercy there. What does it mean for me? It means there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Yeah, no, not even for that. And don't w- hear the whispers of the, and lies of the enemy. No condemnation. Daughter says to this woman, it's a wonderful word of acceptance. What does it mean for you? It means in Christ, my friends, the Bible tells us we're adopted into his family. We're handpicked. We're chosen. Say, so we're, we're forgiven people because he dealt with our debt and our shame on the cross. Freedom from strongholds and sin and, and freedom from fear and freedom from shame. And, and in this version, you'll see immediately, immediately. Well, sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes it takes time. And sometimes we slip up and mess up and all the rest of it. We're working through our freedom. But I'll tell you what, God is still with us because he says he'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Hallelujah. Just getting excited. So... Now, what does it mean for us? Well, Luke writes that Jesus called the disciples together and he gives them power. He gives them power to drive out demons and heal the sick. In other words, you do it. There's quietness in the room now. You do it. You know, you bring the kingdom of God into people's lives. The man who was possessed, demon possessed, he wants to stay with Jesus. And Jesus says, return home and tell him of all the good things God has done for you. And he went away and did exactly that. And the woman who came trembling at his feet, she tells everybody what has happened to her. Tell people what God has done for you. Don't miss it. You've got a card about carols on your seat. I tell you what, it really makes an impact if you don't, don't just post it through somebody's door, but you hand it to somebody and personally invite them. Their very actions here, they tell you about the freedom of the kingdom. Jesus wants us to be part of the story too. And Des and I have prayed for many people at this time. During this time, we pray for many people. People, and, and we got into many unusual circumstances where we prayed for people we never thought we'd pray for. People are often more open to prayer than you think. Bring the kingdom of God into people's lives. Look for opportunities. If you want a word from Jesus, it's you do it. Come on then, I've given you all. Do it. You never know the impact you will have. I'll finish with this last story. Paul Kingsnorth. He writes an article called The Cross and the Machine. He's been an independent journalist for 20 to 25 years. Um, he's, <laughs> he's an eco-activist. I mean, he's an activist in many areas, if you read his bio. Um, editor for Greenpeace. He's described by a prominent magazine as one of the top 10 troublemakers in Britain. He's a priest for a local Wiccan coven, i.e. a witch. And this is what he writes. Suddenly, I started meeting Christians everywhere. They were coming out of the woodwork. Strangers emailing me out of the blue. 
priests coming to me for help with their writing. I found myself having conversations with friends I'd never known were Christians who suddenly seemed to want to talk about it. An African man contacted me and told me that God had told him to convert him. I mean, it kept happening uh, for months. Christ to the left, Christ to the right. It was unnerving. I turned away again and again, but every time I looked back, he was still there. I began to feel I was being hunted. I wanted it to stop. At least I thought it did. I had no interest in Christianity. I was a witch, a Zen witch, in fact, which I thought sounded pretty damned edgy. But I knew who was after me, and I knew it wasn't over. And after that, there was no escape. Like C.S. Lewis, I could not ignore the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. Suddenly, I was in this room, and I could see everyone in the room was connected to everyone else. And I could see what was going on inside them and inside myself. And I was overcome with a huge, you know, inexplicable love, a great wave of empathy for everyone and everything. Um, it kept coming and coming until I had to stagger out of the room and sit down in the corridor outside. Everything was unchanged. And everything was new. And I knew what, I, what had happened and who had done it. And I knew it was too late. I had just become a Christian. Christians everywhere. To the left of me, to the right. It happened for months. Again and again, everywhere I looked, and Christ was still there. Church, you do it. You, do it. you will never know the impact you'll have. But I encourage you, go and do it. Bless you.